The Winefellers comes to you from the lavish WHUP studios in Hillsboro, North Carolina. Listen to us also on WPVM Asheville, WCOM Carborough, and WRLY Raleigh. Support for The Winefellers comes in part from the award-winning Yesterday and Today Frame Shop, Framing yesterday's memories and today's treasures since 1974 and located in Boone Square in Hillsboro. This week's Winefellers is brought to you by The Stool Stool, improving your bathroom posture since 2015. The Stool Stool, we're number two. Your business name here, proudly serving Hillsboro since site year here. Your business name here and... Cody's Laboratory Animals. Just say Winefellers and receive 10% off your next order of live hamsters and rabbits. Test with the best using Cody's Laboratory Animals. Welcome to this week's episode of The Winefellers, right here on WHUPLP, Hillsboro, North Carolina. I'm Joe, co founder of TrueBottle.com, your professional source for wine auction prices. And my good feller Mark here, fine wine auction director with Leland Little Auctions. And together, we are the Wine Fellers! Wine Fellers, we got nothing to do except sit around here talking wine with you. Well, Joe had a bad day, got canned from the factory. Our semi-biannual Millennials Ruin Everything show on the most provocatively uninspiring episode of the Winefellers ever. Mark and I learn why the me, me, me generation basically hates America. You won't want to miss this unbiased, civil, and very nuanced conversation. That's during the first half of this show. During the second half, we will meet Aaron Vandermark, chef, proprietor of the restaurant Panchuto. Panchuto is hands down my good feller Mark's favorite restaurant in the entire great state of North Carolina. So stay tuned because we can't wait to see what Aaron has to say for himself. All this, a fabulous wine tasting, and some more ill-considered wine fellers song exclusives right here on an obviously infected and alarmingly distended episode of The Winefellers. But first, what are we drinking today, Mark? Hey, Joe, it's great to see you. Hey, what? I almost just jumped right into, right, okay, okay, what are we drinking? 
Well, I'll no, but first, it is great to see you too, Mark. We have to do some niceties. In fact, you look very nice today. You're wearing a suit and a tie, and you just look <laughs> very dapper for radio, I must say. It's normally something that's not required for this job. Right. That's uh, You might not know this if you're listening to radio, but it really doesn't. Sometimes we show up here wearing nothing but a bathing suit. We've been told we've got the perfect faces for radio. We have. Yes. yes yeah. Mm. It doesn't matter. The tie, <laughs> Mark, the tie, the jacket, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that I have a face meant for radio. Oh, don't sell yourself short, <laughs> Joe. You're extremely attractive. So... <laughs> our first, our wine pairing today. No, no. Please, let's just please. Can we get started? Yeah. So we, we you know we're all about levity, but we have to be very serious for a second because there's some terrible things going on in Napa Valley right now in California. There's has some pretty bad wildfires. Yeah, and uh, they're not horribly not producing as much wine as as we'd like them to. Yes. In addition to loss of life and loss of property, uh, uh, on the at the winery sites. <laughs> just in generally speaking oh yes we, we, yeah, we have to kind of um put things in perspective okay we, we don't want people to lose their lives in their homes bringing us wine from from uh, napa valley after that then we can say that we'd also don't want the vineyards to go up in smoke which a lot of them are unfortunately are doing They're, really we're losing a lot of uh, that's actually of, happening some of the best vineyards in the world are going up in flames this is a tragedy it is a tragedy so uh, in honor of this, we, we opened up a bottle of 2006 Bond Melbury Vineyard from Napa. I believe their uh, vineyards are fine, but I just it's just a beautiful wine, a cult classic, and I thought we'd open it up, and, and uh, here we go. Pour you now a little this, bit. Now, this is, uh, what, what year is this, Mark? This is a 2006 Bond. Now, um, so tell me what you think. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> the big wine. It's a wonderful, beautiful wine. It's a really nice wine. Mm. Blueberry nose. What do you get from there? You can immediately tell, Mark, that this is a rich and well-made wine. I mean, just all right. around. Smelling it, I've got you know raspberries, cherries. I'm even getting some darker tones like mochas and tobaccos. And this is a very, very intriguing wine. I think it's one of the best wines I've had recently. It's dense, it's chewy, it's concentrated. I mean, so as far as Napa Valley wines, Bond is probably as good as it gets. And so um, if you're at home, if you're at home playing along, open up yours. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> so that's our wine pairing for today. Yeah, thank you, Mark. You are listening to the Wine Fellers on WHUP. Now playing is Fries from Five Guys a Winefeller's original song creation. If your Fortune 500 company is in need of a jingle, let the Winefellers write a song for you. And don't go nowhere in a very nuanced, non-cliched discussion. We will learn the many things millennials hate and are ruining. That coming up next. Shit. 
Special event, my good feller, Mark. This is one of the best special events we've had ever on the show. Is it? It is. Oh my gosh, I'm very excited about you this one. You don't seem very excited, but th- you, sh- you will be. You will be. <laughs> I forgot that 
that on radio you need to convey everything with your voice. That's right. Uh, my face, my face looks face excited, looks very excited. But yes. uh, my voice, wow, yeah, just to say, uh, it sounds very exciting. Well, let me convince you. Okay, Joe. Yes. On the wine fellers, we don't stereotype. No. You know this. I know this. Our listeners know this. Instead, we prefer very nuanced, non-cliché discussions on subjects, and we are nothing if we were not genteel. I completely agree. So, what we're talking about today is the fact that millennials hate everything and are ruining America. (laughs) How did I know that that's where you're going with this? Well... As we've discussed on previous shows, they are definitely... Oh, boy, Mark, this is going to be bad. <laughs> no, this is going to be good. They're definitely killing wine and basically everything you and I hold dear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how so? Well, when they aren't spending their paychecks on avocado toast, they are purchasing <laughs> low-fat diet avocados. Yes, uh, that's a real thing. Uh, sitting in hipster cafes drinking lattes out of avocados. Yes, also a real thing. Wow. Or suffering from avocado hand. You know, again, a real thing. <laughs> we are not, the, here's the thing, Mark. Uh, we are not alone in this, uh, in this fire of hatred. Okay. In fact, millennials think that we ruined everything. I, yeah, I don't know how that is because let me tell you something. We didn't grow up with avocado hand. No, I think everyone's blaming everyone for something really that just the rich should be blamed for. So let me just explain to you really quick before we move on. Okay. Avocado hand involves. Oh an, yes, please. An avocado. By a yes. A sharp knife. Uh-huh. A hard pit. Okay. And a deep laceration. Avocado hand. Right. Now, in fact, due to a millennial outcry, and this is true, all avocados now sold in the UK must carry warning stickers. Oh, my gosh. What? Wait, people think they should be cutting through the seed in the Well, because the knife will hit the the pit, and then it'll ricochet off, and they'll cut their hand. It's very dangerous. It's called avocado hand. And so these are... These are very generational divide kinds of things. So it turns out that millennials have much, much different priorities than past generations. A new study from the travel site Contiki found that they prioritize activities over physical. Oh, they, I'm sorry. They prioritize activities over physical purchases, with most 18 to 35 year old citing experiences as the most important things in their lives. See, this is where th- this has always been been, been the issue. Uh, the, those who are younger have fewer experiences. Okay. Okay. Now, as you grow older and more cynical, mm-hmm. like we have, Mark, you come to realize that purchasing something is an experience. <laughs> wow. Okay? In fact, My most brain, yeah. most mm-hmm. of our you know uh, experiences revolve around purchasing. Okay, that hike you just went on. You didn't just go on that hike, Mark. No. You bought some shoes for that hike. I you've got a book. Bu- you've got a, a hiking backpack for that hike. You've got your your custom steel drinking bottle for that ba- for that uh, hike. You even bought a car to go along with the image that you want to portray of yourself as a hiker. Wow. Well, they have a pretty good argument there. That's pretty good. So. <laughs> and it'll catch up with them too. They will in 20 years discover yes. that while they thought 
they were only experiencing the world and avoiding all of the pitfalls that fall into the world of commercialism uh, that they, in fact, were the largest consumers of all. Wow, that is cynical. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) back to our our very nuanced and uh, (laughs) very polite conversation. Oh, yeah. So millennials hate many, many things. Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and here are the things. The phone is just lighting up here like are a the Christmas things tree right They now. hate and thereby ruin the most. So someone compiled a list of the things yeah. that millennials dislike and the, and the things that, that millennials are also ruining. And the okay. number one thing, and I get this, is wine corks. Millennials hate wine corks. Huh. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, if they're having trouble with avocados, yes, I'm sure they're having trouble with wine. So corks. it's more of a safety thing. Well, so they are opting for cans of wine and bottles with twist-off caps, and are really, it's their parent uh, generation that are using wine corks, so they don't like that. Yeah. Now I'm got to believe that yes, while it is somewhat of a convenience feature. Yes. To avoid the cork. Yes. I've also, from what I've read and understand, the cork is king among sealing the different seals you can use on a wine bottle. Well, there are synthetic seals that that work better and last longer. And they don't also don't tell me about that. They also don't taint the wine. Just plastic cork, uh, plastic uh, corks, and things like that. I've seen a plastic cork. Yes, and they actually probably now do are millennials work. avoiding those. Uh, it doesn't say, but I think uh, yeah, probably. Probably, it's just a convenience. It's thing. a convenience thing. So, so the two best methods of sealing your wine are synthetic cork and a cork, and both of those. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's a pain. To yes. remove that cork, you want to just twist off that okay. well, cap and, and go. You're speaking like a millennial. Well, I'm not saying that I would personally want that. When yes. I see a bottle with a twist-off cap, I think uh, it. I do not associate it with quality wine. The second things millennials hate are food recall notices. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Throwing a wrench into the myth of the coddled millennial, millennials are most likely to ignore recall notices and their they are twice as likely to throw a recall notice in the trash after reading it. For food, you're saying? Yeah. Not just for food. For food recall Re- They're more likely to... Who is receiving food recall notices in the mail? Oh, I get them all the time. Food recall? You don't get them? Like a car, a vehicle recall. No, I get them all the time. Food recall. Sure. I don't believe it. Celery, oranges. I don't it. believe it. <laughs> Right. No, I you don't believe me. this one. That's at a all. good point. I don't think I ever got one of those. All right. Yeah. Th- you know that like by the time you got it, it's like, do you remember that spinach you bought three months ago? <laughs> yeah, right. Don't eat it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, but at least I know why I got sick. <laughs> all right. So the third thing that millennials hate are dinner dates. Millennials yes, they do. hate dinner dates. Basically they have given up on the dinner date. It seems that yep. some of this has to do with a mix of Tinder and OK Cupid matches. Experts say that they are dating more often but and more casually, making the idea of sitting across from someone a, at a pricey dinner for a potentially long amount of time much less desirable. Yeah, that's just not what you do anymore, Mark. I mean, that's what we did. That's, I mean, when I wanted to that's date someone. That's what your parents did. Yeah, if I wanted to date someone, I mean, to show that I was serious, we had to, I had to take that person out on a, I had to spend some money. Absolutely. I couldn't say, come on over and let's chill and watch Netflix. 
Oh, kids today, they've got it so easy, Mark. <laughs> so easy. Yeah. You know, just, I mean, it's already, it's like, net, so what's what cost is, is uh, you know, are, are you dealing with there? Well, there's a Netflix subscription. Oh, but they're not buying, parents are yeah, they're not buying themselves. For. Yes, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's I mean, no cost. It's like, it's interesting. <laughs> How would you like, wait, let me treat you to a movie that is covered by a monthly rental fee my parents have already paid for. Yes. There's something to be said. Right. When you go this out of your way, to, I have earned my own money. Right. And now I'm going to buy you a dinner or buy you this or buy yes. you that. No, this is like, how would you like to be treated to some content my parents have already rented? Ooh, you're a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth thing yeah. that millennials hate, millennials hate cruises. For well, some, <laughs> for some, Count me among yeah, them. So. For some time now, cruising has been designated as a vacation option for a much older crowd. What also hasn't helped is a series of on-sea disasters like the Costa Concordia, which sank, and uh, ship-wide illnesses you hear in the news like noroviruses and oh, things like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, those are just terrible. Yeah, so I think that's turned off the new generation off of cruises, which surprises me because a cruise is an experience. A cruise, that's what I've, I'm trying to tell you, Mark. They want to feel free, okay? Yes. And now if you're on a cruise ship, you understand the only money, the only food you can buy, entertainment you can buy, anything, it's all owned by the cruise ship, okay? And so all of your money is going there inside the cruise ship. They want an experience where they feel they don't like being locked into uh, like a pricing arrangement. They don't like, yes. they like, they're the no contract generation. Turns out they sign more contracts than anyone before them, right? But they like to feel, yeah, they, don't. Uh -huh. they like to, the feeling of being uh, contract free. Yeah, I want to have this experience and, 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 you know, maybe not buy dinner from you as well. That's right. Now, if you're just joining us on WHUP, we are talking about what millennials hate in a very nuanced and civil and kind of both-sided conversation. As all Weinfellers uh, <laughs> conversations are. The fifth thing millennials hate yeah! <laughs> is they hate napkins. And this actually, I do agree with this. This is one thing I wholeheartedly agree mm, with millennials yeah, about. Very skeptical, skeptical of this. <laughs> Maybe the only thing I agree with millennials about, millennials hate paper napkins. 80% of, of the millennials say they opt instead to use paper towels as napkins at the dinner table, according to a 2016 study. Wait, wait. They, they don't like paper napkins. It's, they want paper towels. Yes. Experts say the paper towel's ability to clean up messes make it a more versatile and economical choice, especially as fewer millennials eat dinner at home. Or sitting down. Yeah, <laughs> and I agree. I'm all about using the paper towel. Now, my wife says, please put the paper towel no. up. We are using napkins. Well, uh, so in my household, we will sit down for dinner, and we have we use cloth napkins, right? We have Ooh, a whole drawer. Yeah, look know, at fancy. you. Yeah, a few millennial minds were just blown there. Wow. I don't know if that's too hipster for you. Yeah, and we put on the record player and oh take out the cloth gosh. napkins. We use we have a whole drawer full of cloth napkins. Wow. And we typically use those. However. Do you wash them after? Of course. Well, I don't know if you like, do you, is it, does one napkin be, can you uh, use oh, it five no, times? No, I mean, yeah, of course. So you hang it on the back of your chair, 
And if, if you go to use it again and it's too dirty, you throw it down in the laundry, you get a new one. So you do use it, use it over more than one minute. I use my, my, you know, it's not like you leave it there for someone, for the, like someone else to use. It's your no, own napkin. This is my napkin. Just, this is, you know, or else, you know, you'd be washing a lot of paper, na- paper t- mm. uh, napkins, uh, cloth napkins, Mark. Here's the thing. When it comes to paper napkins. Yeah. All right. I despise folded paper napkins. Really? Despise them. Wow. I've and and I you. always opt yes. for the uh, normal size yes. paper towel. Right. Not the half size okay. that everyone's yeah. Yeah, been trying to get us to get use. Started. Yeah. Right? The full size uh-huh. square paper hand towel All right. is king. All right. Simmer down. <sighs> okay. You got me worked up, Mark. I know. So the next thing. Jeez. <laughs> So millennials hate golf. They are playing fewer rounds and even watching it on TV less frequently. I know this. Than all the other generations. It, in fact, it is estimated that if such apathy continues, golf as we know it could disappear in just 52 years. <laughs> <laughs> Some did the math. <laughs> uh, golf as we know it. As we know what, it. What is it going to be well, replaced with some sort of laser hybrid no, golf? It'll be on a video game. So. <laughs> <laughs> The next thing, wow, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa! You just can't say golf is going to disappear as we know it. Well, that's because if millennials have their way, I mean, they don't like golf as a group. Well, what if it transforms into some new sport? Yes, like uh, like frisbee golf. No, (laughs) like it's just golf, but maybe you lose the ball. And the clubs. Yeah. And it's... Uh, hand golf. I'm and it's you. all... And, and I could see how it could go slowly from... As you lay down the tarp over the grass that is dying because no one's going to those places anymore. Right. That it eventually becomes... Now, sprinklers would still be hooked up, okay? So that in the end... Yeah. In, in 150 years... Yes. It's called golf, yeah. but it's basically a hole-in-one slip and slide. I like it. That's a great idea. <laughs> what you're talking I'm about. just telling. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I have these fits. Yeah. My eyes roll back into idea. my head, and I predict the future. I think you just predicted the future. So the next thing millennials hate is soap. Millennials hate soap. To, I love soap. To be more specific, uh, okay. millennials, millennials hate soap bars. These whippersnappers oh, yeah. are so over the soap They bar. want it in their little squeezy bottle. <laughs> who, is, who are you imitating there? I'm a millennial. <laughs> oh, boy. See, but in a good way. <laughs> because I've never done that voice on air before. No, you haven't, but we are being no very one... <laughs> fair. This is a very nuanced conversation. Right here on the no wine Stereotype. Wine, like, right. Millennials don't talk that way. <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah, so millennials prefer liquid soap and even, it's hard for me to say this out loud, but they even prefer, prefer foam soap. This is just making my blood boil. Really? Yes. Right. Do they use, well, again, is it for convenience? Because, like, here's what, I, here's what I've, I, I've seen. It's an all like is it an all in one clean like self cleaning product where you can it's like it soaps it, it shampoos it conditions I think it's just all soap. in one bottle it's soap with a backstory I think it's an all in one right. is what I'm saying which is why they want to go for it okay they don't want to take the time 
of right. putting shampoo in the hair and yeah. then conditioner and then you got soap afterwards. It's a lot. It's a lot, man. They, they got a lot of things to do. Especially when you're, you've got Netflix episodes queuing up. <laughs> you got to binge them, man. Time's limited. You can be showering, like a full shower yeah, that's and crazy. a full set of golf. <laughs> you know, you have you got Netflix to be watching. The next thing <laughs> millennials hate. Gosh. Millennials hate diamonds. The diamond industry sure, has, why not? has struggled to woo millennials to this luxury item but by slashing prices. Even still, millennials prefer to spend money on experiences like travel mm -hmm. rather than expensive goods. Also, younger consumers increasingly shun the taint of conflict and exploitation. Do you know, uh, I have an interesting fact about this, this very story, Mark. Okay. Diamonds, yes. Okay. Just like the large BP oil company. Yes. They see what's coming. Mm -hmm. Okay, in the in the decades long approach to business. Okay, they trying to look 10, 20, 30 years out. How can our company be here in 100 years sort of questions? Right. And as BP uh, sees and other oil companies see the the eventual uh, demise of oil in that it becomes price uh, prohibitive to pump out of the ground, that they know the world's going to switch to uh, re other renewable resources of energy. And so who owns most of these technologies? The oil companies, right? And at the moment, they're suppressing the new technologies until they get every drop of oil they need mm. out of the earth. And then they'll release, now we own the batteries, so we fire those up. Now, this has to do with the diamond trade and millennials. You're sounding a little conspiratorial. Hear me out. All right, all right. The diamond indus industry mm -hmm. looked out to yes. this point in time where we are now. Yes. So it was decades ago. And they, they knew <laughs> they were going to have a problem on their hands where millennials stopped buying their rings yes. and they stopped getting the money from them. Yes. So they invested heavily yes. in the internet technologies realm and the food truck realm. <laughs> Did they now? Yes, and okay. they are still sucking money from the millennials' pockets. Okay. Even though they're not buying, they're not getting it in the form of diamond rings. All right, you're worrying me. So the next thing then. It's true. <laughs> All right. We're on the Weinfellers. Everything we say is true. Well, that's for sure. <laughs> so, the last thing millennials hate, and we're not stereotyping, they just. As a group, hate things. Yeah. <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> Our department stores. Millennials don't like department stores. As online shopping grows in popularity. I don't like department stores. And millennial shopping habits shift. Stores like Macy's and JCPenney have had to close hundreds of stores because Aww. they just don't want to go. Mm. You know, it doesn't bother you. It doesn't bother me one bit. Wow. Right on board with that one. Wow. Yep. You don't shop on, you don't, you don't do a, a department store. Mark, I couldn't stand department stores when i was a kid when i when i teenager i lived in the food court but yeah <laughs> but but you weren't found in belks no no not for any good reason you went to the food court yeah i went to the food court and the arcade right right and occasionally would walk past the victoria's secret uh display well, look at you right yeah <laughs> 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 but belts? You, no, you, I'd be caught dead before I was in belts. You'd wander in the Victoria's Secret store and go like, I'm just looking around <laughs> for my mom. 
<laughs> You're pretty suave. <laughs> I didn't know what half of the things in there were even for. Excuse me. What is this do? <laughs> That's a bra, sir. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> and where would one try one of these on? It's not oh, for you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, then that's what. Yeah, well, is that it? That's uh, it. We got through it, did we? Well, uh, no, hey, look. Look. Don't go nowhere. You are listening to the Weinfellers on WHUP. Aaron Vandermark from Panchuto is coming up next. the chef proprietor of the restaurant Panchuto, one of my feller Mark's all-time favorite restaurants. Is Mark Solomon's recommendation not good enough for you? 
How about from 2011 through 2016, Aaron received a series of coveted James Beard Best Chef Award nominations. What? Is James Beard's recommendation not good enough for you either? How about from the 6th to 8th grade, Aaron was on the coveted elementary school honor roll. When not creating imaginative new dishes in the kitchen, Aaron is residing in Hillsboro, North Carolina, and spending quality time with his wife, Amy, and their two children. Aaron Vandermark, welcome to a very special episode of The Fine Fellers. Aaron, welcome. We are so glad to have you on the show. This is uh, really exciting for us, and we know that you don't do too many interviews, so we are very pleased that you're yeah, here. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. First time on radio. Oh, wow. Let's do this. Let's do it. <laughs> well, uh, as uh, Joe explained in the intro, uh, Panchita is truly one of my favorite restaurants of all time. It is an imaginative place. It's You're going to get food there that you're just not going to get other places, and the way you combine, uh, you make combinations of ingredients and things that uh, you just don't even think about. So uh, I'd, I have so many questions for you, but probably the first question I have is when you started, like what were your cooking influences as a, as a child? Uh, as a child, I didn't have many cooking influences. We grew up on a lot of macaroni and cheese mm. and hot dogs and ramen. Um, I really fell into cooking more than anything. Um, I was working in finance briefly while I was still in school um, and at night was working in restaurants and really just found myself um, energized by sort of the craziness of of the restaurant business, the, the personalities, the, the literal motion of it. And um, that, that drove me in that direction. As far as, you know, you know, culinary inspiration, I think, you know, most of that came from really, you know, working in good places, but also picking up good books and, and diving in um, and just really, you know, not wanting to to fail. <laughs> you know, this sort of fear of failures oh, has yeah. motivated me to some degree. Yeah. 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 But I've even heard. So now I hear uh, hot dogs and, and Raymond noodles. Uh, growing up, but I have seen, and uh, my daughter's getting into this, where they are turning these, what you and I would have considered uh, kind of a freshman year college meal of just ramen noodles, into works of art. You know, they're putting, I don't know, pork and mushrooms and, and displaying it all there in the bowl so beautifully. It's like a thing now. I can't really speak to that. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I agree that is a thing. Uh, it's not my thing. No, not mine either. I'll yeah. just, I'll, I'm still of the, uh, you know, I, uh, I enjoy mac and cheese with cut up hot dogs in it still. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. I, no. have, I eat that stuff all the time as well. Yeah, that still hits our dinner table occasionally. Mm, yeah. yeah. So there's no shame in that. Nope, not at all. Now, uh, if you couldn't be a chef, and I feel like, you know, some people have a calling that they're, they're, that was, they're going to be a chef or they're going to be a physician or they're going to be some people are born of that. Is it is that something you feel like you are in the correct uh, field you've always meant to be or you feel like if there's something else you weren't if you weren't going to be a chef, you'd be something Stunt else. Stunt car driver. 
Nice. Uh, <laughs> that, that would have been nice. Um, <laughs> yes. In, in lieu of that, uh, yeah, I think, um, yeah, again, falling into it, I feel like I got lucky in that it turned out that um, not only do I, I like what I'm doing, but I'm I'm good at it. Um, you know, it definitely was not a career path that I thought I was going to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I don't know. I just... Do I know I still want to do it forever? Not necessarily. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's what I've done the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Right. Um, but I still, you know, I don't know that I want to be cooking when I'm 60. Uh, not necessarily. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Is, now, that's, now, that is an interesting point you guys both bring up here, is in any line of work. Yeah. All right? How do you keep that, how do you keep your day-to-day tasks interesting Mm -hmm. for so many years you know i struggle uh in in my own profession um what are some of the things that you can challenge yourself with in the culinary field where you know that it's it is going to be interesting 10 years from now 20 years from now for you know the way panchuta has, has worked and the way i keep going is sort of this um you know, there's this constant evolution in what we do and that we're never sort of resting on what we did last year. At least we try not to. You know, it's what what I think distinguishes, you know, Panchuta from a lot of places is it really feels like a living thing and has always been a real reflection of who I am at any point in time. And so what the restaurant was in year two is very different than what it is, you know, this year or even three years ago. Um, it, it physically looks different. What we serve looks different. The menu looks different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You know, as I've evolved, matured, changed, you know, so has the restaurant. And where a lot of places kind of open with one idea of what they are and they stick to that till the day they close, like I'm very much willing to uh, upend things at any particular time to yeah. make progress. Yeah. Do you do you have like a favorite, like a favorite ingredient you might want to work with for a period of time and then you move on to another ingredient that you kind of want to play around with? Is that how you work or is this kind of a... It's really about what I, you know, I'll talk to our, you know, group of farmers uh, every week and we'll get emails and texts um, and kind of hear what people have. And so it's really just taking the most advantage of what you know, is most exciting to them in any particular week. So, you know, when we get an, an email or I get a text from somebody and there's fennel for the first time in the season, which is cool. what happened, you know, this week, yeah. you know, we get really charged about like, what can we do with fennel? Right. Um, Cause we haven't seen it in, you know, at least in spring. And so for us to revisit these things, you know, once or twice a year when we have them for three or four weeks, sometimes at most, we're highly motivated to make the most of sort of these really small windows where we've got, you know, really excellent product that, you know, in this very short chain from ground farmer to restaurant to, you know, you eating it, um, you know, we really want to make the most of that. One thing I really love about your food is that uh, when wife and I are eating it, sometimes it's um, it's a very cerebral event and then you, you have a dish and you kind of in your mind, you're deconstructing it, what went in it, because as um you know when you, you can play around with so many different flavors and things and, when, and where the sum doesn't equal the parts of the, uh, with the, the sum doesn't equal the parts of the hole or something like that right and uh and i really i really appreciate you you do that you've done you do that is there is uh, is that a, a conscious effort on your on your part uh yeah i think you know big picture it's really you know what the restaurant is, is a collective of really talented uh growers artisans mm-hmm. you know cheesemongers you know this area is full of people doing really special things in food and what the restaurants really become is like this, you know, house to kind of showcase that. And so 
how, relating that to your question, I think um, what happens a lot of times is though a recipe may be great, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean the food or experience is going to be great. And it's because, you know, for us, connection to, you know, real people that we know well right. and connection to place and time and eating in the restaurant at any day is like experiencing what we have this week in North Carolina grown by like people who are our friends. And so that translates, whether you realize it or not, generally to yeah. a better tasting meal. Um, you know, I've used this example you know, a few times before, but like it's this notion of stirring this pot of whatever uh, with you know your grandmother's wooden spoon or you know a metal spoon that you know picked up you know Walmart. Right. Uh, the one with the wooden spoon is going to taste better than the one stirred with a metal spoon. And so there's something like meta about um, you like know, the connection to people and soul that I think you know translates you know through the dish. And so that that's Very important cool. to us. Yeah. What's the most challenging ingredient you've worked with? <laughs> Oh man, um, I'm not trying that's to put a, you, yeah, that's a put tough you on call. the spot. But, uh, <laughs> you know, something that we have run once uh, years ago and challenging because it was a new experience. You know, I was working with um, Rocky Mountain oysters. You know, uh, lamb testicles. Yeah, um, and so that was you know unique and trying to find a way to put that on the menu that you know was legitimately you know right. and, you know maybe a stretch for some people to be willing to try but to to do it in a way that um for us it was kind of learning how to use them right but to be able to get them on the menu in a way that you know people felt like you know it was worth a few bucks <laughs> would, would you would you consider yourself a cook or a chef yeah uh, i'm more I, I mean i i don't use the term chef for myself um i feel like a cook i think um you know i don't know that that's just me i just i feel like i cook i deal with people what was um, it i mean What's the difference? Because I know different people have different kind of uh, definitions in mind of a cook and a chef, and I'm just kind of thinking what it means to you. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I just don't take, uh, I guess, what I'm doing. Uh, I don't know. I just, I don't want to say I don't take it seriously, but I, I kind of recognize um, that though we can use it as a as a platform to, for fundraisers to put out good food or hire people and provide good jobs, like. There's a place for what we do, but it's also just cooking, and so like, I don't necessarily need or want you know sort of these titles. They they don't feel like they mean much to me. Right. So I don't know. You know, that's for other people to decide. Now you're listening to the Wine Fellers. Uh, we are speaking with Aaron Vandermark, the chef proprietor of the restaurant Panchuto here in Hillsboro, and uh, Aaron, you spoke earlier about the ties you have to many of the uh, local and thriving farms in the area. And I was wondering if, if you wouldn't dive into that for another minute and, and maybe uh, elaborate on, uh, if, you, if you do feel an importance, not only uh, for the farms providing for uh, you know, local businesses and restaurants such as yours, but, but your role in, in in a way, you're cultivating the creation of more local farms and cre and continuing the thri the th the thriving of the ones that are here. That's a good point. Yeah, I think um, you know I, I feel just again the cooking f to make it um, to make the job feel uh, more relevant or important or just you know for me to be able to do it really relies on you know, these fundamental relationships with real people. The idea of, you know, dialing an 800 number and requesting food and it shows up, you know, right. in boxes on your back porch, like that just doesn't, 
do much for me. Um, and it, you know, there's a, I don't know, again, like I'm in a position fortunate to be able to connect with a lot of people on the ground in our area that, they grow, you know, really great product, and it, it results in better food. But it, again, it's that connection to to people that um, I think you know, informs you know the food and, and makes it taste as good as it does. And if it promotes um, you know you know individual farms and keeps dollars local, like those things really matter. Um, but they're like this great byproduct of you know just this really conscious decision to work closely with um, you know again people in our neighborhood. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, yeah, yeah, please, Mark. Do you have a, uh, um, aside from Hillsborough, do you have a preferred city that you like to eat? Like, would it be like New Orleans or someplace on the West Coast or uh, New York City? I mean, do you have an area when you kind of go to area to hmm. try new things and get new ideas? Uh, I mean, anywhere we eat out uh, as, a, as a family, you know, well, with little kids, we don't eat out. You know, the kind of places I draw a lot of inspiration from. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> my <laughs> goodness, this cheese pizza is amazing. <laughs> yeah. But but when we get out, um, we definitely try to eat at um, you know sort of restaurants with better reputations, uh, partly to just try to enjoy it, which can be hard to do from the inside and and not be, you know, critical is the wrong word, but like kind of obsessing over everything. Sometimes it makes just enjoying a restaurant a little bit harder. Um, right. But um, you know. I love when, you know, we're eating somewhere and I see something that, um, you know, someone has created or produced that, you know, they put a lot of thought into it and that's evident. Um, And I'll, you know, certainly like I can be uh, inspired by something I've eaten or seen somewhere else and then try to, you know, figure out what is my take on that or how to introduce it. And so um, certainly when we eat out, um, there are times and places where, um, you know, we bring some of that back, at least mentally. And then it can, if nothing else, like sometimes it can just reinvigorate the creative process. Absolutely. Is there is there a uh, a trend now that's happening that uh, that you because know, the farm to table trend I probably didn't really spot it until it was actually happening and, and that we're probably two years into it. Is there something coming up now that's that people are kind of moving towards? I think um, you know one thing that seems to be happening and I, I think it's good is uh, there's a push towards uh, making really great food more accessible um, mm-hmm. through I think price point. Um, and so people are, you know, really demanding, um, great food at a affordable price. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a positive push. Um, you know, it gets into some really complicated economics of running a restaurant, but, yeah. um, you know, I think there's definitely a formula to be able to, uh, provide a really thoughtful, creative meal, um, where more people can afford it. And I think that you're seeing that. I mean, the food truck vibe is some of that, right? Like yeah, it's yeah. kind of the, the first kind of wave of how to get, you know, good food out into the community at a, at a price point. Yeah, but I have seen firsthand exactly uh, what the two of you are discussing. And we have uh, friends of ours who uh, raise, uh, let's say, in for this example, raise their own ducks. And they process mm-hmm. their own ducks on their farm, right? right. And, you know, they, they, they slaughter, they process them, they, they freeze them. And you know, this is not, you know, from raising a duck up to that age and then handling it, it's not a cheap thing to do, right? It's yeah. expensive. And you're never going to be at the price point that uh, a frozen food truck can drop them on your doorstep at. And so other uh, chefs in the area, I have heard that they're, they're, they're lamenting the same challenges, which is, you know, how do I offer this delicious local duck to someone, 
give them a decent portion of it, but not charge them so much they're turned off from it. Yeah, well, I mean, the reality is that meat, especially humanely raised, um, is expensive, yeah. and there's a very thin margin on it for everyone. Right. Um, and so, you know, it gets to this idea of, like, how often and how much should we be consuming meat in general? You know, there's sure. definitely, you know, with the money getting poured into sort of finding these alternative meats and, you know, developing the, you know, Impossible Burger and all that kind of stuff, you know, there's obviously recognition of, you know, the challenges we face with pressures on the supply chain, especially at, you know, a small humanely raised level. Big ag can provide you Smithfield pork all you want. Right. Um, you know, whether you want to eat that's an individual, you know, decision. But in terms of affordability and wanting to tap into a, you know, a smaller food chain, you know, the price point is higher and that's just the reality. But I'm thinking we just can't go on this way forever. I mean Bugs so Mark well, Bugs. but you have a point. I mean, I don't mean to jump in. No, but it, there's but. only so much, you know, water. There's only so much uh, habitat. I mean, eventually we're gonna we're gonna hit a limit where producing meat's just not gonna work out. Well, for well us. And, and we have had uh, the the producers of Bugfest yep. yeah. on the show, yeah. Yeah. and we ate crickets we ate and scorpions and, and bugs. Yeah. And guess what? It was delicious. It was actually yeah. not bad. So it seems like so you're saying that's sort of the forefront is is coming up with some alternatives to that. Yeah, I think, you know, sort of inverting the way we eat now, which is sort of, you know, meat, starch, veg, kind of in that order, you know, maybe veg, starch, meat is kind of the way we'll ultimately be thinking about food where um, meat doesn't need to be eliminated. I don't intend on being a vegetarian, but I can also recognize that, you know, I should maybe be eating less of it, or it can be the third sort of element in a dish that raises the other two, you know, veg vegetable and, you know, starch components to a higher level. Right. It doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, a quarter or half of a chicken you know for dinner yeah. um so we you know i think more like that even at even at the restaurant um but you know certainly on a personal level and as i think about you know whatever might come next you know those philosophies which maybe i didn't have even five six seven years ago you know will certainly affect you know not just what we do at panchuto but if i open another restaurant someday like that'll be you know part of you know that that vision also now so we we are the wine fellers we so are. we would be remiss we didn't ask you during uh, th uh, this opportunity uh, if you had a favorite wine or if you have a favorite beer and what you will typically drink uh, if you're sitting at home or out for a nice meal. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, maybe, you know, um, yeah, I don't know if this is a surprise or not, but I don't uh, I don't drink a lot. Um, and until I was probably, you know, in my early 20s, really didn't drink at all. Um, as far as, you know, wine and beer go, um, I prefer a dark beer, um, mm -hmm. you know, sort of the darker the better. And uh, on the wine side, you know, I've talked to Mark about it a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I don't, there's not a wine I don't like. Um, you know, I, I couldn't, I don't know if I could tell you which, yeah. you know, what, yeah. I, what I prefer. Uh, Aaron so, and I shared a, a very fruit forward wine yesterday and a fruit forward wine today. And, uh, and uh, that's one thing I uh, do uh, uh, like about Aaron is he's, he, he tries all sorts of wine. And I try all sorts of food. It's good. That's a good uh, it's partnership. A, it's right a good there. partnership. Right. Yes, <laughs> it is. So here's I want to give you a, a uh, you know, I'm trying to really treat, keep you on your toes. But if there was a fast food, you had to admit <laughs> that you liked and, you know, kind of like secretly, but. You know, you go <laughs> eat but not tell anybody. Sure. <laughs> Is there something that you? <laughs> I want to know because yeah. I'm buying that after the yeah. show. Yes. So I, you know, I haven't had this in a long time. 
and those who know me well uh, will know the answer to this. And I get made fun of a lot for it. But it's uh, what I used to really enjoy would be a, a filet of fish sandwich from McDonald's oh, with wow. uh, cheese and tartar sauce. Nice. That was kind of a go-to. Um, oh, yeah. I don't and, think I've had that in 20 years. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, when they're on, they're pretty special. Oh, wow. Uh, but I think, you know, it stems from um, my childhood uh, going to McDonald's and... Yeah, uh, I don't know. There's just that that sandwich for whatever reason stuck. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree. But for me, it was McRib. But I get it. <laughs> a hot fried fillet of fish sandwich. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was for you. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. All right. Here's another one of those questions. If you were to have choose your favorite kitchen gadget, hmm. what would that be? Huh. Uh, you like know, imaginary in like <laughs> any anything, Mark? Oh, no, real something kitchen that gadgets. exists. He's like a millions of them out there, and you would like to know what a chef actually finds uh, interesting okay. to you. Well, he might want a food creator, something that just generates it like a hologram. Well, let, he could answer. But that we're if talking he about he must choose from the um, library of existing of existing food. Okay, gadgets. just wanted to be clear here. Yes, you know, one of the more versatile uh, tools and most dangerous is the mandolin. Uh, Japanese style mandolin is. Uh, <laughs> Japanese style mandolin. What? Yeah, they're just um, you know they're twenty thirty bucks. Uh, the Japanese kind, they're you know plastic, but they have a blade on it that is meant to kill you. Um, and so you really have to be careful with this tool. Um, there's not a there's not a cook in a kitchen that hasn't you know taken off a a, a part of their hand with wow. one of these. Yeah, uh, but you know okay. when you're not cutting yourself, it is. Um, it's just this really great tool that, you know, obviously can shave paper thin. It can cut, you know, spaghetti shape, you know, vegetables. And just, um, again, at the restaurant for us, you know, allows us to um, sort of you know, mani- manipulate without over manipulating food in a way to uh, deliver it in maybe less conventional ways. So, uh, well, so for all yeah. of our uh, intoxicated listeners yeah, out yeah. there, right. place your order on Amazon yeah. right now right. and yeah. second day it. Yeah. The so, Japanese mandolin. Yeah. So sometimes when people uh, uh, talk with me, uh, they will uh, be concerned about uh, drinking wine or pouring wine in front of me because they're, they're concerned that I won't like it. So then they might not pour wine in front of me. And I imagine that might happen to you where people are fearful of making food in front of you because they're thinking that you're going to you know, not like this food. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I always you know, say, you know, it's the opposite of that. You know, it's nice to not cook. And because I do it for a living, I really understand the thought, effort, and time that goes into cooking. And so I really can sit back, enjoy, and appreciate, um, you know, that someone else is not just doing the work, but like, you know, caring about food in that way. And so I appreciate when people cook for me and there's zero pressure on, you know, the end product. Um, I recognize what goes into it. And yes, people do get, uh, can get worked up about, you know, cooking, I think probably for any, any chef or cook. Um, but it, it shouldn't be that way. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show, Aaron. Please come uh, on again. That was so enlightening. Forever, it really right? was. I mean, like, um, but we're out of time. Uh, Aaron, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to another exciting episode of The Wine Fellers, North Carolina's only fine wine radio program. And I've had such a great time today, Mark. Me too, Joe. 
But the good news is, is that the fun can continue online. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Visit us online at thewinefellers.com, where you can learn more about today's program and listen to previous shows. See you next week. Songs and melodies change and change and sway, but they still stay the same. The songs that we sung when the dark days come are the songs that we sung when we chased them away. If I ever found a pot of gold, I'd buy bottles untold of the nectar of the vines, cause I'm gonna die. With a twinkle in my eye Cause I sang songs, spun stories Love, laughed and drank wine Tomorrow is another day The cats are out to play One of the things that's great about DJ